You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic centimeter density now what this means is it is it's 22 percent higher than standard tungsten and 56 percent higher than lead so it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances it has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content high tech may be cool but craftsmanship is king and i want to highlight a family business called Mercy Supply. Mercy Supply is a leatherwork and canvas and wax duck clothing company. They make accessories like bags, wallets, and aprons. In fact, I gave Rusty a call and he put together a custom order for me. I've got 60s vintage camo trimmed out in oxblood leather and copper rivets. This apron just is sick looking. I love it. It's bomb-proof construction, stitched really tight, and you're never going to be able to beat it up. And actually, the more that you use it, the more that you abuse it, the better it wears. So head on over to mercysupply.com. Everything is made in Byron Center, Michigan, hand-done in the good old U.S. of A. If you tell them that Huntivore sent you, he won't know what you're talking about because I didn't tell him that I was going to make him a commercial. But anyway, head over to mercysupply.com. Their stuff is built to stand up. Welcome to the Hunt of War podcast. Powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 48, Thunderbird Down and Hatchets with Fletchings. Nick is joined by friends Adam and John of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, 
where John gives his exclusive on taking a Tom in the early season. John also explains how things get complicated when trying to capture hunts on film, along with having to read minds when hunting in partners. Some ideas are discussed on how the bird is going to be prepared, and the guys give their pros and cons of using their pellet grill setups. As always, a great back-and-forth episode on the way. Well, hey, folks. Welcome to another edition of Hunter 4 here. Uh, got some fellas here that are, are local here in Michigan. Um, one seems to always be talking and always have something to say, while the other is quiet and off to the side. You could almost say that it, they're the pen and teller of the archery world. I am sitting here with the world's worst bow hunter, and yet the man with the plan, I got Adam and John from Bowhunter Chronicles. Fellas, thank you so much for giving me uh, an hour or an hour and a half of your time this evening. Yeah, anytime. You know, uh, you've been on our show uh, a couple different times now. I think both of which John wasn't present, and uh, and then um, you know, so to reciprocate and come on here and talk with you, I mean, it's it's just like sitting down with a friend. And I I stepped my game up. You know, the the podcasting world is known for its. Uh, it's bush light, but I knew that I was being on with a hunt of war tonight. So we're on the zoom and we're Whoa. drinking Johnny Walker black. I was going to say, um, I just saw, saw a little bit of black label on there. Holy smokes. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm sticking with the water. Today, so. Hey, there you go. Stay hydrated, John. That's a good thing to do. Um, it is springtime. That's with a heavy question mark. I said we had two inches the other day. We had snowflakes today. Felt like it was going to snow. So I'm drinking a little bit of Oberon here. I'm I'm trying to will spring into us right now. Um, But despite temperatures, birds are active. Birds are calling and birds are going down. And, John, you, was it opening day or was it the day after you uh, were able to put down a nice big tom? That was, it was opening day. The, in the evening hunt. The morning was a little, uh, I had been doing some scouting and putting some birds to bed. And we, Adam and I, Adam's like, well, what's the plan? He's like, you know, what are we doing? I'm like, well, I got some birds kind of located. So I went up Friday night, got, you know, got on them, put them to bed. They're, you know, calling back from the roost. And I had a pretty good idea on where they're at. And next morning, we, took off Adam and we drove separate you know they were being being safe with our social distancing you know drove set two separate vehicles up north and uh, got up there and I busted out you know our base map and like all right this is the plan I, I think they're right about here you know we're gonna walk in down this little trail and set up and we uh we we're walking in in the dark and it was a little bit I'm like we better check, you know, check the map. Looked at the map, like, oh shit, we went a little too far. We got to back up. I'm like, we're right where I think the birds are, you know, are you're at. right underneath them at this point. Yeah, well, and I was thinking, you know, when you're trying to roost the birds, you know, it's hard to tell, especially at, like there was a big section of like I call them school pines or they're, you know, the old pines that they planted years ago that are all in the road. And then offside that was, you know, like an old cuttings select cut so i had some big hardwoods and i figured they were like right on the edge of that hardwoods you know on the pines and i had found some really good scratching and you know good sign through there when i was scouting so like 
I had an idea. And then, you know, you know, when the birds are gobbling, if they turn their head one way, it sounds like they're way off. And then all of a sudden, if they turn around, it sounds like they're, you know, right close to you. So I, you know, ballparked it. Well, like, well, yeah, let's back up a little bit, set up, and uh, started getting it. And, you know, I'm in the tent. Adam's filming outside, and he's got he's got like a little what do you call it? Like the camo netting. Yeah, camouflage netting. And, you know, he's six feet behind me, and uh, it starts getting daylight, and birds start gobbling. They're about, I mean, everywhere, 360 degrees all around us, you know, off in the distance. And I'm, I'm like whispering up to him, you hear that? Adam, you hear that one? Adam, you hear that one? Yeah, I heard that one. And then it also sounded like I heard one drumming. I heard it again. We didn't hear any birds fly down at this point, but I'm like, you know, it's getting light. And also I hear it again. I'm like, Adam, you hear that? And he didn't answer. Well, let me let me stop John right there just real quick because – um, Frank and Ernie, the, the counterparts, you know, my father-in-law, Uncle Frank on our show, is a, a, an excellent turkey caller. He used to call, you know, at all the shows and all this stuff. And, you know, John kept saying, I, you know, I really wish we could have Frank. You know, we need a, we're going to need a caller. He's like, I can call birds. And I'm like, well, I can call birds too, you know. And I, But this is John's show. Last year I had the first season and John had the last season. So, you know, I, I told John, I'm like, you know, I'm – I'm confident in my calling. Like if when I go out, I'm like, I, you know, I've called in birds for other people. I've called in, you know, birds that I've killed. Um, so, you know, I'm, I know that I can call a turkey and I haven't turkey hunted that much with John just, you know, a, a couple of years, but we generally had Frank with us, you know? So, you know, but this is John's show. This is, you know, John scouted these birds. He put them to bed. He did all this stuff. I'm sitting out next to the tent and, uh, you know, I hear the drumming as well. And, you know, John's saying, you know, do you hear this? Do you hear this? Do you hear this? And so now John can finish his story. So I just wanted to. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I've called, I mean, I've called birds for years. I mean, I can call. I mean, I'm not, I'm confident in my calling. Allegedly. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and also I brought out one slate. I, I have a bag full, like, just like Adam, I've got, oh, there's eight different slate calls, box call. But I don't like carrying all that stuff around, especially if I'm not the caller. And and I had a couple diaphragms, but both of the diaphragms are junk. They were just the Walmart ones I could get, you know, the cheap plastic frame. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and I hear this this drumming. And then he didn't answer, you know, so I'm like, man, there must be a bird right out there, you know, coming in. It sounded like it was moving to me. Like it was it started out like back behind. Of course, I'm in the tent, so I can't tell what way is what. Well, so I get out my slate call, and I, I just did a little bit of, and then, and it, the freaking lit up right above us. Like the tent shook. <laughs> and then another one, just like, you know, 10 yards past me, he must have been facing the other way. Like, holy shit, you know. But I... I still at that point, because like it went downhill and there was there was like a little valley and it come back up on the other side. And I still couldn't tell, like with the being in the tent, where exactly if they were on the ground or where they're up in the air or what. So I was like, well, I gave it a few seconds. I ended up and then I was gonna try calling again. And it was like 
I'm trying to purr, you know. And oh man, my It's like he's running gravel across the slate. <laughs> so what happened was I put the slate call in my uh my bino harness against my chest. And so when we were walking out, it like got moisture on it and it was screwed. <laughs> so I was like, God and threw it down in the dirt. And I'm like, Adam call. <laughs> so but at that point, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, a few minutes go goes by and they're gobbling, gobbling all of a sudden, you hear them come out of the tree and they end up flying, you know, they went kind of like diagonally away from us. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm filming at this point, like, you know, I'm here, you know, cause, and I keep looking on the ground, like down in like what John's saying, this Valley, you know, and I'm thinking that these birds are going to come up and that's kind of where my focus is, but I'm outside of the tent. So I'm like, um, you know, I don't want to be moving around and then as it gets lighter and lighter, I start to see movement like right above us in the tree. And then John runs the gravel across the, the call. And all of a sudden this bird puffs up and he's like dancing around on the limb, you know, and it's, they're inside of 40 yards. They're probably like, you know, 30 yards right there above us. And there was a, a really big Tom and a hen in the one tree. And then right behind them was that second bird that was firing off. And then they pitched down like 80 yards down in that Valley, like in front of us and, and worked off. But like when I went back and looked at the video, um, you know, I just had it out wide just facing that way. Cause I didn't have any idea of what was going on and I didn't want to be moving around cause I was outside. And again, this is John's show. And if I'm, you know, mess it up or whatever, like because of me, you know, he puts in all this work and here I am, trying to get this cinematic shot of these birds in the tree you know but i i did back the camera was backed all the way off and like so when i watched it back like you can see the turkeys in the tree and then you see them fly down i i, I got that all on video so it, it was really cool like in that respect but it didn't it didn't pan out so yeah so that when i when i was up there the night before i had seen there was like a flock of, there was eight birds in in that area when i what it was there's there's a subdivision. There's literally one house in the whole, this whole huge subdivision. And I drove through there and that's where I found the birds. And then they walked off, they were heading south. So I went back down on the, on the public land, circled around and that's when I roosted them. So they ended up heading north to where the rest of them birds were. That's what I'm assuming. And then, and I could see them down there. And then they were kind of going back and forth and then it sounded like they went back to the west and then, we moved back out there and set, you know, we were back off the, we were on public land just off the private and they were, they just kept gobbling and they're, they're heading back Northeast now, but they were on that private. And so we left there. We went back to the trucks and then circled out and then went all the way up because the way they were heading was a, it's old pipeline. And so we got up on the edge of that and then skirted, skirted down the pipeline and, and set up again. And we heard them got, like finally we heard them coming, but then they just kind of kept on their route and stayed going north. And then at that point is when uh, Frank had texted. Well, matter of fact, when we were sitting there at the first spot, I heard Adam's phone, <laughs> you know, on vibrating. <laughs> and it must have been. You know, right around eight o'clock when Frank was sending the message, like, hey, Ernie's already tagged out, guys, <laughs> sending pictures. So that was pretty dumb. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, tell Frank, get his butt up here and start calling for us. 
you know. So they gotcha. ended up meeting us up there. Uh, go but, along with it. I mean, you guys are I, – I love this dynamic that, A, not only is it something that you guys set up and then you've now picked everything up and moved. Like, this is a true run-and-gun style. Like, it wasn't set up through that first attempt right there at the morning – and so now you guys are already like, all right, plan B, let's pack everything up, let's move, let's get in the trucks, let's let's find another location, find out where they're going. But I also love the team dynamic. Is this different than like say the Deer Woods where you're by yourself, but now you're now not only your cameraman, but it's cameraman caller and the hunter at this point. Is this brought in any dynamic to the hunt going on right now? Well, I mean, I think when we went out west on our elk hunt, like we kind of w- did the, you know, collar hunter, collar hunter, collar hunter. Uh, as far as the whitetail woods goes, um, we're we're still working on that. As far as like hunting as a team, um, I did film for for John and for Frank uh, last year, and um, you know, it, it's it's a matter of coordination and time and you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. Like where, uh, the, uh, with these first Turkey seasons like this, um, and, and we did it last year, the same thing, uh, because it's only a week, like you basically schedule it. Like these are the days that we have to go where, you know, bow season is, you know, you get a month and a half and then you've got, you know, after, after gun season. So, it's real easy to say, well, we'll do it this time or all oh, that we'll catch you the next time or whatever. And, you know, so, but that hunter collar thing, I think helped the, the elk hunting dynamic helped kind of solidify that. The stage for us. I mean, for, for the turkeys, I mean, it's very similar. I mean, obviously you're, you're running and gunning, chasing elk and, you know, that's big country. It's all on a, you know, completely different scale, but, you know, the turkey woods, yeah, we're doing with the bow. So, you know, we're trying to do it with the blind. Last year, you know, we we did it with the blind in the morning, like our initial setup. And then after that, I mean, we were going just run and gun like you do with a shotgun. Just And like during my season, we actually had, what, four or five guys? Five guys, yeah. Five guys. <laughs> and it came, I mean, we came right down to, we had birds coming, you know, we had two real nice toms come in and, they had a hen with them. They were henned up, and she just kept pulling. We got them down into sixty yards. And, you know, really thought we were going to get it done that day, but so we last year was like a learning experience with that. And but then this year, you know, we it ended up it worked out real well. I mean, even with this virus thing, you know, we're running tents and staying six feet apart. It's, that's that was tough, you know, not being able to talk to Adam and you know, kind of coordinate stuff. Yeah. That takes your teamwork aspect. Cause now not only do you have to coordinate, but for that moment that, you know, if you can't, you, you whisper into Adam and you all have to guess, Oh, he's not talking back to me. You have to almost put yourself in Madam's mind. Why wouldn't he talk? Well, there's, there's probably a bird right there. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like, well, he's not answering. I know he heard me and he answered before. So if, if he's not answering now, then and it sounded like it was right right out the window and so i just assumed it and so so yeah so then uh frank and ernie end up coming up meeting up with us and by now it's like 11 o'clock and i knew like this 
the spot where we wanted to, you know, where I wanted to get to, I had seen the birds there three times and I had a friend up there that seen him once also same spot, like between 11, 1130, two nice times crossing the section there, you know, it was like a little strut zone, but you know, Adam and I had already, you know, we kind of put too much time in at the other spot already. And so then by the time we met up with Franklin, we were heading up to that spot and the birds are already right there. I seen the two strutting in the little strut zone. We went past him, cut out and got set up and we heard him gobble and they just kind of, they just kept doing their thing. They had hands with them too. So at that point we're like, well, let's uh, head back, get some lunch. Ernie still had to take care of his bird and uh, we ended up meeting back at our, you know, at Frank's place, the studio. Went over the footage from Ernie's uh, hunt and then uh, decided to head to another spot where it was a, a chunk of private that Adam's got a camera on and, you know, we know that there's some really decent birds in there. We uh, kind of dinked around a little bit too much, I thought, at the at the studio there like uh, we're watching the old Haggard on the TV you know Uncle Frank looked like Haggard with his headdress on from his ghillie suit but that's a whole nother you guys will see the video <laughs> if you stick around with the Bow Hunter Chronicles but anyway so we end up dinking around there we finally take off and of course it's now it's four vehicles and we're in this little private section at the end of this row we get down there and we're all parking in this one little two track and, and I'm telling that or talking at him like, Hey, have you got any pictures lately on this five point camera? And he's like, no, nothing. I'm like, well, I hope, hope we don't scoop the birds out of there. If they're down there, sure enough, we get down there and all of a sudden we're walking along and I'm just like birds and everyone drops. You know? <laughs> like, and so he's like, Oh man, you know, they're, they're, I seen them taking off. So we sat down for a little bit and then Frank's like, listen, Let's just get in there, get set up. There's Frank and Ernie had already went in there like the day before and set up one tent. I had my tent. And so we got in there, set up my tent, got the decoys out, got all the cameras out. I had uh, two cameras. Adam had two or three. Four. Four. So there was like seven cameras all together for this hunt. This so is a full-on cool. Hollywood setup going on here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So got all set up. And at this point I was pretty frustrated. I was like, man, I'm sitting in the tent. I eat my sandwich and I'm like, man, I didn't even get ready at this point. I had my, I still had my camouflage sweatshirt on. So I have a, a black sweatshirt put over or I have a, a black undershirt. And I'm like, well, I didn't have my head gear on nothing. I just pulled one ear out of the quiver and put it on my bow. I'm like, I'm ready. There's nothing going to come back. Frank and Ernie are like 10 feet behind us, leaning against the log six feet apart. He's calling once in a while, and all of a sudden, I hear, I hear a hen, like, man, that, that didn't sound like Frank. So I stood up and, like, peeked out the back of the window, and sure enough, I see two hens and a jay. And they're, like, 15 feet behind Frank and Ernie. And I was like, Adam, they're coming back. So I whispered, Apparently he heard me. He didn't answer back. But so at that point I'm like, shoot. I turn on the camera. I put my head net on and put my hat back on and 
grab my bow and get ready. I'm like, I don't have time to take this or cover this camouflage sweatshirt up. It should be black, but oh well. And so I hear all of a sudden, I mean, it was just like, the one thing that kind of saved me in this situation was I, I seen it was the two hens and the Jake. And then, you know, I was kind of thinking like, well, I really don't want to shoot a Jake on the opening day, but you know, we, we've been trying to get a bird on camera this whole time. So I really can't be too, you know, judgy on it. But anyway, all of a sudden, it sounds like the birds are going to come right between our, our two tents. Like it just, and all of a sudden I look out the window and here's three long beards just come running into the decoys, just ready to whoop his. And, and the decoys less than 10 yards away. I mean, it's not like they were like way out there or anything. No, we said like our setups for, you know, I prefer to have them decoys close, you know, like seven to 10 yards or, you know, five to seven yards, really get them in close. And then that way, if they, want to hold up on the upside you still have a shot opportunity because i'm trying to my setup this year was i built 660 grain full length arrows uh eastern axis 260s with a three blade 125 grain magnus bullhead so my setup was to head shoot head and neck shot only this so, is this is the yeah. hatchet with fletchings that I uh, <laughs> yeah. that I gave it the name. I, I don't I don't think I'd actually told it to you until today, but that thing that's a sucker waiting to just lop heads off. Oh, it, I mean it's it's a monster. Arrow. It ends up being thirty five, ends up being thirty five inches, you know, from tip to tip, uh, six hundred sixty grains with the you know the uh, nocturnal knock, six four inch uh, fusion veins. So it's it's a monster. So back to the day, so they come in and two of them get right up by the decoy. The first, you know, the one ended up being on the right close to the decoy. He's like full strut pretty much the whole time. But the way I set my tent up, I set it up at like a diagonal. So I have two shooting windows and then there's the, the center post, you know, right down the middle. Well, I'm, they were like right, you know, back and forth in between. Well, as soon as I seen them coming in, I just slowly drew my bow back just to be ready. And it's only like 55 pounds right now for shooting those arrows. You, you can't have a heavy poundage bow with that big of a broadhead. It just wants to play. You can't get it to shoot back. So, so they're, they're out there just, you know, one strut and the other one's kind of full strut, you know, goes down and I'm like back and forth. You can see in the video, cause I turned the video I turned on or the camera I turned on is facing right at me and see me, I'm like bobbing and weaving back and forth. And I'm like, I'm going to shoot the one, the one in the middle basically is like right dead in front of me. But then I'm, then I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, man, what, which bird is Adam on? You know, is he on the one on the right closest to him? And, but the center one ended up like, he just kind of kept his head down. So he wasn't giving me a good target. So the one on the right ended up, full strut turned around and he just like this faced me. So I just leaned over and I just put it like right in the center of his neck and just started pulling through and, and it just, it was like getting throat punched by Mike Tyson. I mean, this bird <laughs> just like, like knocked him backwards and he rolled around. He ended up knocking the, the hen decoy over. And, but to my surprise, he ended up like taking off. And he, he just kind of ran over like 10 yards to our left and then he just stopped. So 
this is one of the mistakes I made too, getting in the tent and being frustrated is, and I always tell Frank and all these guys, I'm like, always have a second arrow ready. Like, cause that's what happened with Frank last year. He missed the bird and he would have had another shot at it, but he was sitting, you can actually hear it in the video. He was thinking around trying to get his second arrow out of the quiver. And if he would have had one out and ready, he would have been able to just grab it, knock it, and he would have got a second shot. So I'm like looking, I'm like, man, he looks like he's hurt, but I'm so I reach over and grab my other arrow and you know, yank it out. I wasn't even being quiet at that point. I just ripped it out of there and knocked it. But I had to like get up on my knees and like lean forward so I could shoot out the side window and put another one in him. That one had um, the dirt nap shred head on it. So I wasn't shooting for his head. I was doing a body shot on that one. And so that one looked like it was a you know pretty much perfect shot. And then he just went over for about 15 yards and just flopped around. So gotcha. Ended up killing him. <laughs> well, good deal. Was, yeah, know. it wasn't the prettiest. Like you said, you had to take a second shot on him. But at the same time, it, it was all done. And even though you were saying, like, quote, unquote, I'm ready, you know, it was one of those things like, hey, something could happen at any moment that, you know, it doesn't feel right, but it can still happen. So ended up, I mean, awesome day for us. I mean, Ernie, Ernie was tagged out before 8 o'clock, and he put a, he put a 12. I mean, he literally – he shot his with uh, two blade rage. Yeah, two blade rage. So it like literally cut the top of the, the heart right off. So wow. his bird just didn't even flop and like ran 14 yards, just laid down and he was done. So awesome. But now, how big was really how day. big was Ernie's bird? Um, he said 11 inch beard. Um, we didn't. We didn't weigh it because they they oh, okay. gutted that bird, um, and then they did the um, the hunting public, you know, logging bird thing, and John's was forty nine or forty eight or forty nine, and Ernie's was like forty seven. So I mean, they were both really good sized birds. Yeah, because then being... you put yours on the scale, John. You had I'll let you tell how big that thing was. Yeah, so it ended up being just over a ten inch beard. And one inch spurs, but then it, the bird weighed twenty five point one pounds. So, I mean, that's definitely the heaviest bird I've ever shot. I've nice. shot longer beards before, but he was he was pretty stout. That's awesome. When, we, when I picked him up to carry him out, I, I was like, "Damn, this bird is heavy, man!" I threw him over my shoulder, and I was like, "No, oh, it's definitely a twenty pounder for sure." <laughs> so. Well, hey, day, congratulations, man. John. That's incredible. Yeah, thanks. I was I was a little worried because I've been ribbing Adam now for a couple of years about killing a turkey with his bow, and I'm like, here, I talk all this crap. I better be able to freaking put my money <laughs> where my mouth is. You know? <laughs> I got lucky. I mean, it, 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 like I said, if, it, if I would have known, if I would have looked out that back window and seen the three long beards, it probably would have been a little different. I would have been a little amped up, and but when at first I was thinking, oh, it's a couple hands of the Jake. I really don't want to shoot the Jake. You know, I got, I was ready. I mean, I got my bow ready and everything at that point. But okay, and then when I seen him, I was like, yeah, those are definitely shooters. So, well, good deal. So we got our Tom down on the ground. You pulled him out. Um, 
What's the plans for for this bird? Is he uh, is he gonna make it all the way to Thanksgiving in the freezer, or do you have like plans oh. right now, or have already done something with him? I have not. I I cleaned him. I ended up. I was gonna pluck him, and then I was like, uh, I just I started to pluck him, and I'm like, no, I'm just gonna breast him out. Then I ended up skinning the legs and kept the thighs, and. So I got right now they're my vacuum seal them there in the freezer, but I want to do definitely. I seen Tom, pretty sure it was our, our friend Tom and Sarah, uh, did like some smoked or pulled turkey leg tacos, which looked awesome. So I want to try something like that, maybe braise them, throw them on the Traeger and slow cook them so, with the legs and then. I'm not sure what to do. I was, I was like, I told my wife, I'm like, well, I'm talking to the guy tonight who is the freaking master cook. So Nick's going to, you know, he's going to give me some ideas about how to cook this turkey. So. Well, good deal. What do you yeah. got in mind for me? Oh, I just got this one last night. Um, I did a podcast with another friend and he took a spin off of Chick-fil-A. Now this is going to kind of, it's going to, it's going to take some real trust in this, but I think it'll work out really good. Instead of brining in like uh, like a like a bar- buffalo sauce or like a, a normal uh, buttermilk, you use pickle juice. So if you've got like some homemade pickles, you know, take that pickle oh, juice yeah. out. That's what um, Chick Fil A does is they brine in pickle juice. Now, when you pickle something, it doesn't have to be just dill, but the idea is you're using the vinegar from that. So if you want to really make your uh, the the breast that you got the one where you didn't put the shred head through, but anyway that part of the breast that's going to be uh, um, a real good slice of like a slice of either a roast or even a steak, um, add a, a vinegar to it or even like a pickle juice, but even try to get some citrus in there, either a lemon or an orange. Um, that citrus in there really plays well with the turkey. But anyway, we were going back and forth talking about that, uh, the pickle juice idea, and the vinegar itself works on breaking down the meat. So he actually took nuggets. He made nuggets and then had three different tests going on, one with a buffalo sauce, uh, one with the vinegar, and then one with nothing. And he found that at like the three to four hour mark of being uh, marinated in that vinegar pickle juice, that he got the best texture and flavor. So like that's the the point right there is that three to four hour mark. All right. Yeah, I definitely I have some big old jars of uh, pickles that we can every year. So got lots of pickle juice. That sounds awesome. So yeah, pull those out because that one to the test. It pulls in a little bit of the dill, it pulls in the pepper, but it's not one of those things like you're not eating a pickle. Like it's not you're not having all of that absorb into the meat it's it's going to be pulling out the moisture but at the same time replacing it with that um seasoning and herb that you're really looking for oh yeah because we got I mean, tons of garlic and pepper and stuff in there too so onion and some <laughs> we have some jalapeno in there too so Oh, there you go. Add a little bit of kick in there. I love it. I, heck, I want a jar of pickles from you now. Forget the bird. Hey, we'll trade you. I got a, I got a big old domestic Tom over here. He's not as wily, but he's definitely big. Do some more testing with the, with the, the what'd you call it, the hatchet arrow? Yeah, exactly. The, the hatchet with fletchings. 
just want to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. Well, John, that's an incredible story, and I, I love how you guys, with the podcast and folks, if you haven't jumped over yet to uh, Bowhunter Chronicles, they have really jumped up their game in a lot of areas. Um, John not only really gets on the technical side of archery, he he doesn't just slap arrows together and hope they fly. He knows they're going to fly, and he puts data and tests together. He's even putting together his own strings and. Uh, as a group, I've even seen this, where they have taken their culinary experience to the next level. They're not just merely putting things on the grill and searing them, pulling them off, and calling it good. They're getting into brining and smoking. Um, John, you picked up a, a Traeger not too long ago, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I got it last year for Father's Day. And you've put a lot of meat Absolutely. on Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I I love that. I mean, I go through a lot of pellets. Matter of fact, I I just had to uh, go pick up another forty pounds of pellets or eighty actually. So, holy smokes! How many uh, how many cups or pounds or or how much do you go through in like a single smoke? Let's say you're doing something like an average of a a four to five hour smoke. How much? How many pellets you're going through? Um, honestly, I mean, I fill that hopper up and then I have my buckets and then I just keep dumping in there so uh, i honestly couldn't tell you how how much per hour or anything and the longest i've i haven't done any like a brisket or anything like that i haven't done anything super super long overnight a lot of i've done a lot of pork shoulders pork butts which you know love smoking those you know pulled pork so uh, but i couldn't tell you how i mean i know i've gone through a lot of a lot of many pounds of pellets but <laughs> So uh, I've got the uh, Camp Chef uh, DLX um, pellet smoker, and I've done, like, a bunch of pork butts and stuff like that as well. And uh, that thing will eat pellets. Um, and I don't know, you know, whether it's more efficient, less efficient, or, or whatever. But, you know, if you do, like, I think I've done a, a couple of the pork butts that have been, like, six or eight hours, and I'll have the hopper pretty full, and it'll take, you know, a third to a half of that hopper in that, in that eight hours. And it's kind of like surprising cause it's not something that I think about. One of the cool things about it is, you know, the, you know, you and I've had this conversation, Nick, about you don't want to set it and forget it. You want to be out there in your flip flops with your apron and your, and your beer. And, and you, you know, you want everybody to know that you're grilling. Um, but you know, the, that's the beauty of those pellet smokers is being able to just kind of, you know, walk away or let it go overnight or, you know, 
in 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 wake up and and have it have it ready for you. So it, it's kind of surprising, you know, when you look in there and you're like, oh man. Yeah, it's not only the flavor element that you're adding, the smoke, but that's also the heat element as well. So it's not, you know, having a, a charcoal ember and then the wood chips or the pellets add the, the smoke to it. This is doing double duty on that uh, on that pellet grill. So, yeah, it's going to eat more of those pellets. But I, I've not toyed with one of those. Um, they do look great, and I do put up a – yeah, I put my nose up because basically I just can't afford one right now yet. <laughs> but anyway, I – <laughs> I I see how like being able to set that and do like 12 to 15 hours on something where I can set it at 200 and be able to walk away. That just sounds like a a great way to get some of that long uh long cook that's going to then break down that tissue and not char it if I'm not paying attention. Right. You know and I I'm not, you know, I'm not a barbecue man i'm not the you know the hunter like you i mean I, I didn't go out there and, and hook up the charcoal and smoke i mean but for one, i have buddies that do it and i know i can tell you you know firsthand that your guys's way of doing it you definitely get a better smoke flavor i mean the, the pellet grills work awesome but it's definitely more of a mild you, you know being the heat source and that you can't you can only get so much smoke out of it yeah uh, you, you know you put it on the super smoke setting and it, it does pretty good but you know i was i did have some issues with my trader i mean i was i'll have to admit i was ready to give it away at one point when my wife fire would not hook up i guess i'm kind of <laughs> a, uh, spoiled like that i like to be able to just fire it up and sit in the house if i you know you can, you can look at it from anywhere i'm like oh yep we're at 385 everything's good I got the, the probes in. It's you know internal temperatures at you know 150 right now. I got some you know time yet, but when they switched over their app, I could not get hooked up. I mean, it took it took me like a month. I was getting really frustrated. Adam knows. Yeah, when you see when you see John get frustrated, like his level of like technical expertise is not just arrow building, string building. I mean, you know he he went to school for like medical electronics and so i I mean i'd go over there and he's got the multimeter out and he's you know just (laughs) bitching up a storm and like to the point like where he gets frustrated and you think uh, you know he talks on our podcast like where he wants to ground tune his bow where he'll throw things and it's like you know he's out there with this you know super expensive big huge grill and he's just cursing and kicking and you know just i mean (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, was a, you know, here's the deal. I mean, I researched and researched research before. I, I mean, this is a major investment. I mean, this is an expensive, expensive piece of equipment. And so before I, I went and bought it, you know, of course, I'm a huge, I'm going to have, you know, I'm a fanboy of Don, John Dudley. So, and everybody on our show knows that. And so, of course, he's a Traeger guy. And I was like, man, I'm going to have to get a Traeger. But then I started doing the comparison and I was like, well, Camp Chef has better features. They had to clean out. They had stainless steel. You don't have to. Uh, they had to clean out for the, the hopper, clean out for the, the burn tray or the burn cup, and it was just you know had better product. I thought. I mean, I watched all the reviews, and everything else. So, but then all of a sudden they come out with their their D two, which was the direct drive, and they had the Wi Fi 
and they end up with the, the hopper clean out. So that way, you know, if you want to change pellets, the old ones, you'd have to actually dig them out and then, you know, pull it. There is a, like a little protection plate, you know, grate that you'd have to take out, dig it out, whatever. Well, where the camp chef had a little trap door in the back at the bottom, just pull it and goes back into your bucket. So you could switch pellets if you wanted. If you're running apple wood and you want to switch over to cherry, then it was just a matter of doing like that. So Traeger addressed some of those issues and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go with the Traeger. So because the new, you know, the, the D2, I end up getting, uh, it's the Ironwood 80, 885, I think is the, the model. And I mean, it's awesome, but when the wife fire was messing up, I was ready to get rid of it burn it to the ground yeah something that you leave outside and you maybe put a cover on it and now all of a sudden you put a computer and electronics onto it something in my redneck mind says eh, that's just not gonna it's just not gonna work and uh, oh no it has its own stall in the garage <laughs> it's got it its own stall <laughs> it, it doesn't sleep outside it has it's in the heated garage so oh well i'm impressed now john that's a great spot for it well i'm I'm bummed that you had problems with the Wi-Fi, but yeah, just back to my simpleton mind, I'm always like, why is Wi-Fi on a grill? But I'm at the same time, if I had that same piece of equipment, I would be touting like, hey, look, I can find out what the temperature is right now. So right. it's definitely perce- it's perception. That's what's go- that's what's playing yeah. out right here. So yeah, I mean, it was it exposed me. So well, you got to understand that I was completely dumbfounded, right? Because John was getting one of these things, and he did all the research, and he's like, you know, this this cab chef, and, you know, this is the one, and he had it all figured out. And then he's like, sends me a picture of this freaking Traeger box in his, in his garage, and I'm like, what the hell, you know? Because uh, I am, extre- like, I'm a loudmouth, terrible bow hunter, just, you know, you shouldn't have a show, um, all of these things. But I'm extremely cheap as well. So, you know, and John's always like, you know, just buy once, cry once. You know, he's going to research everything, you know. And he he was dead set on this camp chef. And then he sends me a picture of Traeger. To clarify, it was the woodwind yeah. because the woodwind yeah. was, yeah. you know, a yeah. great model. And I, had, I get a sear box, which that is the one thing I really miss with the Traegers. I really miss the sear box where you do the reverse sear. Instead, I have to do a whole separate burner, you know, cast iron. I mean, it works okay. Like, I can crank the Traeger up to 500 and then put a piece of cast iron on it and try to get a sear that way. But you really need it more than 500 to get it a good, fast sear and not continue to cook it. Yeah, so so he sends me this picture, and I'm like, what do you do? You know, what's, what's the deal? Cause here I am looking at like camp chefs and you know, blah, 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 blah. And then that's what I ended up buying was a camp chef just because of the, like the gross price difference. And like, I don't know. John's grill is like twice the size of mine. I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, but you know, it is what it is. He, he says, well, if I'm going to spend the money, I might as well spend the money, you know? I like that phrase of uh, buy once, cry once. Because, yeah, I'm, man, I, I hate pulling the trigger on stuff. And it's, I have this buyer's remorse. Like, I, I put so much mental angst up into just 
pushing the buy button or even just just handing over the cash. But once I do it, like then, like you said, like that cry once is over with, and now you get to enjoy this new piece of equipment that that is awesome. You know, it kind of comes from, I mean, like my background is like a builder and stuff like that. And there's been so many projects or things that I've done in the past. And it's like, man, I wish I really would have just went through and done this or done that. And so like when I was redoing this whole house here and my wife was like, well, I really, I really wish you could do this. I'm like, listen, I'm getting old, man. I'm only going to do this one time. So if it's something you want, just, I don't care. Just do it. And we'll figure it out later. But I don't want to hear, oh, I wish we would have done this. So that's kind of been my, I'm like, well, if I'm going to go and buy this grill, then I'm going to get the one that I'm not going to say, well, I wish I would have went with that one or the next model up. And I just, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't, I didn't, you know, give ourselves a little plug here, but we're giving away a Traeger. Um, is it the, the one that doesn't have the Wi-Fi <laughs> or the what broken uh, Wi-Fi? <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is one of their new. It's a it's a smaller one, the the five seventy five. But like for our Patreons, like so, we do a Patreon deal, you know, where people, you know, support our show through that. But when you're saying you can't afford one, I mean, it's five dollars a month to become one of our Patreons, and we put all that money back into giving away cool stuff like like a Traeger because it's we're coming into grilling season and I felt like this second quarter is going to be, you know, you know, you're stuck at home. You might as well, you know, be able to cook out. Right. They haven't taken that away from us yet. I like that. I like that. That was a good plug. I like that. Hey, our last question here is I want to, I want you gentlemen to, to lay out for me, uh, your death row meal that, you know, something has gone completely wrong and you've ended up in jail and on death row. And what is it that, uh, is going to be your last meal? I, I got to cut us short. I'm going to flip that switch, but what's the last thing that's going to be in your stomach? Oh, John wants me to go first. So I, I've, I've thought about this a little bit actually. And, uh, I'm as, as much as I love like red meat and everything like that. Like I'm a complete, seafood guy through and through like i hate fishing i love seafood um so it would be like lobster crab legs prawns and like for sides like i'm a potato guy so it would be like double stuffed potatoes like real like mashed potatoes with uh you know sour cream and and cheese whipped in you know and like real Real fluffy, um, you know, a few chunks in there so you knew that they were real potatoes. And then, like, stovetop stuffing. Like, give me all the carbs. And, you know, I mean, tonight we're, we're drinking scotch, so I guess I would have to say, like, some Pappy Van Winkle or something like that that I'd never have the opportunity to have in in real life. I mean, so, something right along those lines. Well, for me, I honestly, I've never really thought about it. I, I love so many different, you know, foods, but I... I definitely love, I mean, Mexican is one of my favorites. So it'd probably have to be like a fish taco. I mean, I love fish tacos. I just did a you know, video on perch tacos. So like a Cajun seasoning or blackened fish. Ooh, yeah. Like a, like either like mutton snapper, blackened, you know, a good slaw on it and a nice, you know, fried corn shell. 
and some really good black bean milk. That that probably be mine. So awesome! So, yeah, those are good margarita. There you go. He, he 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 goes buy once, cry once, and he gets a a fifteen dollar entree for <laughs> for his last meal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, this has been a great hour, and I, I feel like a jerk here because my, my battery's going to die and I'm going to lose you. But, uh, Adam, we got a, a little bit of time here. Where can my listeners find more about the Bowhunter Chronicles? Yeah, so, I mean, the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, like everywhere, you know, um, I would really appreciate it if you guys would go to our YouTube and check out, you know, we've got some really good hunts coming up. That hunt that John talked about with all those cameras, the turkeys ran by the tent so close I could have grabbed them and they stepped right over one of the GoPros. So the footage is like freaking amazing. So, you know, check us out on YouTube. Uh, we're probably most active on Instagram. Um, but yeah, just Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, we're everywhere podcasts can be found. So, um, yep, yep, yep. We're on Facebook too. John's on Facebook. So, oh my goodness. Look him up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he is with it. He's got social media. Well, Adam, John, this has been great. Um, hold on for just a second. I do have like 5%, so I'll send you off here in just a moment. But, folks, this has been a great uh, hour that we've got a chance to talk with some local guys here in, in Michigan. And so, folks, if you're looking into any of the stuff that, that they're talking about where they're getting on the real technical edge of archery, head over to Bowhunter Chronicles. But always keep your knives sharp.